is the hashtag STRask podcast. I'm Amy Hall, and with me is Greg Kokel. Welcome, Greg. Hey. Welcome, listeners. All right, Greg, this first question comes from Patrick Dunn. How do we reconcile the death or unuse of fertilized embryos following IVF? If life begins at conception and all life is valuable, how do we respond to those who fertilize and then do not use embryos to become children? More than the IVF clinic fire scenario, is that not murder as we have defined life? Well, um, first of all, the foundation there is sound. Uh, life does begin at conception. That's not Bible. That's science. And the life is the life of an individual human being. And human beings are valuable in virtue of being made in the image of God. So all human beings, regardless of stage of development, are made in the image of God. So that includes the earliest stage of development. And that's not science, of course. That is uh, philosophical theology. All right. Uh, but this is not, th these are givens in the question. All right. Now, this raises a question, then what are the status of, um, <clears throat> of um, looking for the right term here, embryos, that um, that are created as a result of in vitro fertilization that are not used. Well, the status of them is that they are human beings, valuable human beings, okay? That is, they have the same intrinsic value. They don't have the same instrumental value as, say, mom or dad or kids already born. And all I'm saying there is, is that there are two ways of having value. If you're a human, we all have intrinsic value. But later on, as we develop, we increase our value in an instrumental way by relationships that we have and things we do for others, etc., etc. Um, so uh, at this stage, there's no instrumental value to an embryo, but there is intrinsic value being made in the image of God. Okay, now what? Well, there is a cavalier attitude a lot of people have who create a lot of embryos that they have no intention of, well, let me back up. They don't create them without intention to implant them and give them a chance at a full life. But at some point, their own designs for having children have been met and they have extra embryos. If they destroy them, them then they are, in fact, destroying valuable human beings, and that would be wrong. Um, if they die automatically, and the word murder was used in there. Remember, murder is the intentional taking of a valuable human life in an unjustified way, all right? It isn't just that a valuable human dies, okay? Um, so it may be, and I can speak from experience here, because my wife and I had in vitro fertilization, and the first one we had, I think there were three, um, we had three eggs fertilized, and those three were implanted. So we're giving every one of them a, a shot, and none of them survived. Well, we were giving them a shot, and they didn't survive. They had a natural death. Okay. And then we um, adopted embryos that another set of uh, 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 Christian parents had made for their own children. They had a child and then another, and they were, okay, done. We've got these extras. So we want to find a home for them, which I think is appropriate. And and we were that home for some of those embryos, and none of those embryos survived either. Now, notice that we were making a moral choice to implant the number of embryos my wife could reasonably carry. 
So we don't plant 10 embryos. And if six survive, then you have what's called selective reduction and knock out five or knock out four or something like that. No, that, that would be a problem. The key here is that whatever one plans to do with the extra embryos, they have to treat them as valuable human beings because that's what they are. And, um, and that's what, what guided the decisions that my wife and I made regarding our own uh, in vitro fertilization attempts. Now, we, we weren't able to, my wife wasn't able to carry um, and so we ended up adopting Annabeth and Eva. But um, that was the way we did it. We pursued this issue because of the fact that the unborn uh, or the fetus or the embryo is fully a fully valuable human being and not just a commodity that we can get rid of when we no longer need it. Does that make sense, Amy? Yeah, Um Alan and I actually, Alan Schleeman and I actually did an episode of the show. It was a few years ago on the topic of IVF because occasionally we will get emails here at Stand to Reason from people who have gone through IVF and have created way more embryos than they should have. And I think this this one that uh, this show we did was as a response because I think someone had said something as much as 25. They had embry 25 embryos and now they didn't know what to do. Um, you have to remember that the doctor's incentive is to get somebody to make sure they become pregnant, to make sure that a, they give birth eventually. So they have every incentive to create way more, way more uh, embryos than they plan to use so that they can choose from them. They have an incentive to implant more or transfer more into the woman than they plan for her to give birth to. And that leads to the issue of selective reduction, Greg, which a lot of people do where they will choose one to kill and then remove so that the other's can survive mm -hmm. in the womb. So for many years, um, and I, I don't know if everybody here at STR agrees with me, you might not even agree with me on this, Greg, but um, I no longer recommend IVF because for many years I, I agreed, all right, I think it's fine if you create as many embryos as you're willing to transfer into the woman and, and if you transfer as many as you're willing to give birth to at once. Because that way you're not um, you're not treating them badly. You're treating them like human beings, like valuable human beings. But what I found as time has gone on, what I've seen happening is that this whole industry is causing real damage to our society in, in a lot of different ways. First of all, there was an article just in the UK. There there are over a million embryos frozen just in the UK. Okay, that are not, they're not going to be used or they're going to be used for medical experiments mm -hmm. or they're, I mean, they're either going to be destroyed or they're going to be used in some way for other people's purposes. And what's happening, what I see happening is a change in the way that we view not only children, I mean, it's bad enough you're treating these children as commodities, but you're, it, it's changing the way we view human beings. 
they're means to an end. They're means to our own um, what's the word I'm looking for? Fulfillment. Yeah, our own fulfillment. Yeah. Now, I I am not saying this is how Christ, every Christian, because many Christians have had IVF, and I'm not saying that that this is um, in any way saying that they were treating children as commodities. Because many Christians I know who thought ahead of it, thought ahead in time, like you, they they did it the right way. But my concern is that that's not how the industry is being run, and I I don't think we should be contributing to that anymore because I I see the damage that it's causing and. All of these children left frozen or used in medical experiments and changing the way that, uh, that we, we look at these things. Now, I think adoption is a wonderful opportunity. I have friends embryo who, adoption. Embryo adoption. About, yeah. And I have friends Which who are, did, right? yeah, I have friends who are, are doing that right now. And if anyone of you out there is looking to adopt, I think that's a great option because these, these children are, are just, Sitting there, I think the organization is called Snowflake or something like that. Is and that, there might be other ones. That's one I know that of one, too. One comes to mind. But anyway, I I encourage you. Again, I'm not saying that that if you've had IVF that it's that you you didn't do it the right way. And there are many who who didn't realize this ahead of time and and had these things happen. But there's there are other problems too. Like if I freeze some embryos and I plan to use them later. And then my spouse dies or I die. You just don't know what's going to happen in the future and, and where your children will be left abandoned. So I, I mean, I guess there are ways to, you could, um, provide for that in your will or whatever, have other people adopt them. But, but the, the point is, even if we as, as Christians who are being very careful about this are doing it the right way, that's not how the industry is being run. Mm-hmm. And I think other countries have much stricter rules about transferring or, or creating embryos and transferring embryos so mm. than we do here. So it's worse here, I think, than elsewhere. But if, if anyone's interested in more on this, you could look for that podcast episode that Alan and I did a few years ago, three or four years ago. Let me, let me add a, a parting thought here because I know – Obviously, when um, pro-choice folk hear this kind of talk, and just the way you described it a few moments ago, Amy, you said their children, that they're going to scoff, that they're going to sniff at this and wave their hands. Are you kidding me? This little bitty thing is a ch- is their children. Um, and here's what I want you to think about. Being human is not a look-like kind of thing. It is a be-like kind of thing. It is the nature of the thing itself that grows through different stages and looks different at different times in their lives. Look at the photographs when you were a baby, then when you were in high school, then when you're 30-something, and then when you're 60-something, and then when you're 90-something. I mean, it's hard to even see the continuity sometimes because we look so different at different stages of life. And that all that to say is that this is the way living things are. They look different at different stages of development. And so to dismiss as human this little bitty speck that is a egg that's been fertilized, now an embryo or zygote even, as not being human is to dismiss it not on what it is, but on what how it looks. It doesn't look human enough 
to the critic's or the skeptic's eye to qualify as being treated as a human being. Well, where where is that line then? Because certainly a, an embryo doesn't look that way. And a, and a fetus begins looking human, actually, nine, ninth week, you know, fairly quickly. But it begins looking the way humans that we are familiar with look. It still looks like all human beings do at that stage of development, and that's true of an embryo, and it's true of a zygote. It looks exactly like a human being at that stage of development. So I just want to warn against a kind of a dismissal of a just a multi-celled thing that's so small you can't hardly see it with the naked eye as being a bona fide human being. Go watch the movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> uh, but because there is a, I mean, size is not what determines human value. It's not what a human being looks like. Let me back up and put it the way I did initially. It's humans are not look-like kinds of things, even looking, even though human look, looking like a human at a certain stage alerts us to the kind of thing we are. It isn't what makes us what we are. We are not look-like kinds of things. We are be-like kinds of things. And because we're human, we are going to go through very specific stages of development from the earliest stage to the latest stage, even though we remain ourselves through every stage looking different than the other. All right, Greg, let's go on to a question from Lindsay. How do you respond to the argument that pregnant women should be able to use carpool lanes by themselves since their unborn babies are separate individuals? Okay, I think carpool lanes are stupid. (laughs) Okay, so just saying. And it's interesting that in the state of California, if you are pregnant, you can use a carpool lane because it is a separate individual. That's why these, yeah. You can? Yeah, that's my understanding, okay? And, and, um, and that's why carpool lanes are stupid. The idea of a carpool lane, now we could get on a rant here, but the, the idea of a carpool lane is to reduce the amount of traffic. People carpool. Okay, sometimes they're called HIV. They're called HOV, high occupancy vehicle. Vehicle. <laughs> really? High occupancy? Is that like a 20 passenger van? No, it's two people. High occupancy is two people. Then you qualify. I do not think anybody in Southern, in California, decides to drive with somebody else because that will get them and carpool with them because that that will get them in the HOV lane because the HOV lane is just as slow much of the time or even slower than all the other lanes. And in California, you can't get out until designated areas. Okay. So if what is required to satisfy the HOV requirement is two human beings in the vehicle, well then pregnant women would qualify. So would women with a bunch of kids, but but a bunch of kids isn't they don't drive so they're not taking any more vehicles off the highway so why should that a person with a bunch of kids be allowed to drive in the hov lane it's silly i think what it does is actually increases the amount of pollution not decreases it but that's that's another (laughs) issue well i i'm gonna have to look that up because i i don't i don't think i've heard that so i'm gonna have to look and see if 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 you can um if you're pregnant if you can drive in that lane. But to me, it seems like the problem with with having that on the books 
is how can a policeman tell? How how ex- laws have to be enforceable. They have to be you have to be able to tell that first of all the the policeman needs to be able to tell by looking in the window whether or not there are two people. Secondly, when he pulls her over and she says I'm pregnant, what's he going to say? <laughs> well, prove it. I mean, <laughs> I know this is just another it's reason this is a really stupid law. It's And it's then if you have an electric vehicle, then you can drive over there, but you got to put these stupid, ridiculous-looking stickers, in California at least, on two parts of your vehicle to show that this is electrical and you qualify for riding. Really, please. It's <laughs> but, nonsense. It's virtue posturing. That's all it is. It causes a bigger problem, more pollution. I guarantee it. I did a rant once. I just I got to get this off my mind. And I did a whole commentary on it. So if you want to check that commentary out wherever it is, you can get all my reasons why this is dumb, dumb, dumb. But in any event. Um, I didn't know I was hitting a nerve with this question. But just in terms of principle, the, the principle is laws have to be enforceable and they have to be they have to be reasonably enforceable. So if a state wants to say that's not allowed, even though they are separate individuals, because we cannot tell if you are telling the truth about it, that's fine with me. I don't think that denies their the humanity of the unborn. And, and, I think it's just it's just practical. And now men can get pregnant. So even if you're a man driving, you could say you can I'm pregnant. See, you could. I'd like to see somebody try that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, Greg, here, here's actually here's another one from Brad from Australia. Oh. He was in the last episode, I think. Jesus commands us to forgive our enemies. Does it follow that we are to extend any form of forgiveness to Satan? My intuition says no, but I can't explain why. Um, because... <laughs> Well, this this actually raises a larger issue about the requirements for forgiveness. And arguably, at least, and I've read uh, different people on this, and one I respect a lot, Doug Ivett, a uh, philosopher, and um, that talk about forgiveness is only required when the, when the circumstances or the criterion are met, like repentance, confession and repentance. Now, that's a requirement for our forgiveness, at least <clears throat> the state of our forgiveness before God. We have to come before God and and uh, confess and 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 have a complete change of mind about things. We're going in a different direction here, in order for forgiveness to apply to us. That's that's inherent in putting faith in Christ, and that's a requirement for God. So, the idea that we are forgiving a bunch of other people, especially those that didn't even harm us. Um, just as a blanket thing, I do not think that's taught. I still have to work out some of the details of this, and there is a element of forgiveness. And you know who talks about this distinction is Kevin DeYoung in his new book uh, on the Lord's Prayer, that sometimes we focus in, there is a, a debt that needs to be released that people owe us, and we release them of the debt. I don't know that Satan has any debt to us. He's a scoundrel, obviously, but he doesn't owe us anything. Uh, but there's also what he calls, you know, a psychological, therapeutic kind of forgiveness that he he's somewhat dismissive of, de Young is, um, because that's not real biblical forgiveness. Um, although I think there's maybe a role for that. I've talked about it here. Like, how do you let go of crimes committed against you by somebody who's dead? 
you know, Jesus talked about forgiveness 70 times 7. If they come to you and repent, seven times? He says, no, 70 times 7. So I, I think there's some criteria there just in the standard of forgiveness that need to be taken into consideration and certainly don't apply to the devil. Also, I don't think he ever commands us to forgive our enemies. He 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 commands us to forgive those who repent, but he he, he commands us to love our enemies, which is different. But but I, that's always in the context of human beings, and mm-hmm. I think the reason is the human beings we're actually in the same boat. We're all we're all um, you know we're all born of Adam and Eve. We're okay. all. We're all the same kind of being. We're all sinners. We're all looking for forgiveness. And for that reason, we are commanded to not look at them as our ultimate enemy. But we are commanded to look at the devil. You know, what? we do not fight against flesh and blood, flesh and blood but against the devil and, and the powers, you know, all those things. powers. So we're actually told... That's where we're supposed to focus our fighting, not on the people. And mm-hmm. so I think oh, that's a good distinction there. Yeah. Plus, who's our model for love and forgiveness? Jesus. Okay. How did he deal with demons? Get out of here. Shut up. Yeah. Go into the pigs. Be gone. There, there is a. Real... You're going to get yours. <laughs> there, re- there is a real distinction between us and the devil that matters mm-hmm. here. Um. You don't think we're commanded to love Satan, do you? I think no, we, no, I feel no. like we had this, maybe that Pray particular... Pray for those who persecute yeah. you. No, it's not. It's human beings. All right. Well, hopefully that answers your question, Brad. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. I, I'm, my memory is terrible these days. I feel like there was something else. I know half the time, Greg, I leave this show and I think, oh, man, I forgot to say... ABC. Your, your cup <laughs> overflows with wisdom, Amy. That's oh, boy. So if you, you have so much to offer. If you listener always, ever knew how many things I thought of later that I wished I had said. Oh, well, maybe the question will come up again another time. All right. Well, thanks. I think later are the things I shouldn't have said that I did say. That's the difference <laughs> between you and me, Amy. Well, thank you so much for your questions. Send us those questions on Twitter with the hashtag STRask or go through our website. Just go to our podcast page choose hashtag STRask, and then you'll find a link. You can send us a question. Just make sure you keep it short. The length of a tweet is only 280 characters. It's just a couple of sentences. And we will consider your question for hashtag STRask. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason. 